Hi friends, we are back again for a continued exploration of the Gospel of John. I'm Colin, and in this section of chapter 20, the Apostle Thomas is our focus. Now, unlike the other ten disciples, Thomas has not yet seen the resurrected Jesus. He's famously referred to as Downing Thomas for not believing the others when they told him Jesus was alive. But through Thomas, we see so much of our own faith journey and Jesus' love and response to our doubts and questions. As Pastor John Huang shares with us this week, instead of doubting away from faith, Thomas' story shows how doubt can draw us to the one he would eventually declare as his Lord and his God. Now, since the start of this series, we've been reminded that the Gospel of John was written for a very specific purpose. In John chapter 20, we read it this morning in verses 30 and 31, we read that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that means that not everything Jesus said and did are recorded in this gospel. In fact, in John 21, verse 25, the gospel goes on to say that Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. But here's what this gospel does have. It contains the selections from the life of Jesus that testify to who He is, and they invite us to believe in Him and have life in His name. So with that in mind, we open up our Bibles again to John chapter 20. And the message of this chapter, you know it, it is Jesus is risen and is alive. Man, that deserves an amen, right? Jesus is risen and is alive. Now, this chapter does not tell us about everyone who encountered the risen Jesus on that first Easter Sunday evening. This story, it doesn't tell us about the group of women who went to the tomb early in the morning, or it doesn't tell us about that moment between Jesus and Simon Peter and it doesn't even tell us about the two disciples who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. But it does tell us, it does tell us about the appearances of the risen Jesus to Mary Magdalene. Remember that story? When the risen Jesus appeared to her in verses 1 through 18, and the first day of the new creation dawned in her dark, broken heart, and she testified to others, I have seen the Lord. The risen Jesus we see in John's gospel also appeared to the ten disciples. Remember that story? When the risen Jesus appeared to them in verses 19 through 23, he brought them his peace. He imparted to them the new creation life of the Holy Spirit, and he commissioned them to announce the good news to the world. And John tells us that the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. 
And then the risen Jesus appeared to a struggling disciple named Thomas in verses 24 through 29. Now, as we come to this story, we have to ask ourselves a question. Why is this story of the risen Jesus and Thomas told in this gospel? Now, remember, each story was selected for a specific purpose, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So there are at least four reasons I see in this story for why this gospel includes this account of the risen Jesus and Thomas. First, as we read the story, we see that it further confirms that Jesus is risen and alive. Secondly, the story confirms the eyewitness reports of the apostles. Thirdly, it declares the truth about Jesus. And fourthly, listen, it invites us, especially those of us who have not visibly seen Jesus, to believe in Jesus and have life in His name. So this is an important account, so important that this story is included in this gospel. So understanding this, let's enter into this resurrection story. It begins in verses 24 and 25. The, the gospel writer tells us that now Thomas called twin... One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, the last time that the ten disciples saw Jesus, he was risen. He's alive. The last time Thomas saw Jesus, he was nailed to a cross. A spear was thrust through his side, and he was dead, period, End of story. For Thomas, there was no more future days with Jesus, only past memories about him. Thomas was grieving. He was disappointed, Luke 24, 21 tells us. He was afraid, John 20, verses 19 and 26 tells us. And he was also absent. This gospel tells us that he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, we don't know where Thomas was, but we see that he missed out in the joy-renewing moment with the risen Jesus that the other disciples were experiencing. And because he wasn't gathered with them, on that first Easter Sunday evening, also called the Lord's Day, Thomas was still in that state of mourning, loss, disappointment. Guys, there is an important lesson for all of us here concerning the Sunday gathering of Jesus' disciples. 
And you remember last week, Pastor Char delivered a clear and challenging and gospel-saturated sermon on this topic. So, if you haven't heard it, then go to cccm.com and go and listen to it. Listen, please don't make the same mistake that Thomas did. We should gather together each week with other Jesus people on the Lord's day to meet with the risen Jesus, to receive his peace, his shalom, to see his wounds at the Lord's table, to be filled with the Spirit, and then to be sent out by Jesus on mission to the world. Now that was Thomas. Now look at the ten other disciples. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, we saw that when Jesus was with them, he imparted to them the Spirit and commissioned them to represent him in the world. Now, here in verse 25, we see how those disciples responded to that command. We see that those same ten disciples started their mission, how? By first going to their friend Thomas. They wanted Thomas to hear the good news about the risen Jesus. It was news that Thomas needed to hear. So, as the original language emphasizes, the other disciples repeatedly told him, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord. Can you hear the excitement in their voices? Can you feel the joy in their repetition? Can you see their longing for their friend to know Jesus the same way they do? Risen and alive, victorious, and glorious. You know, there are two things to consider from this scene. First, see the joy of the other disciples and their love for their friend Thomas. Their overflowing joy in seeing Jesus alive and their love for Thomas caused them to tell him the good news about the risen Jesus. Listen, the gospel of the risen Jesus is news worth telling others. It's a message of joy. It's a message of life. The world, however, tells us that preaching the gospel to others is offensive and that we Christians should just keep it to ourselves. Our risen, glorious king tells us something different. He said to his disciples in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen, heralding the good news about God's Son is God's means of calling lost people into a right relationship with God. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14, 15, and 17, 
inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Faith, that saving faith, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. God loves the world, and so should we. In love, God sent His Son to announce His good news of salvation to the world. Likewise, the risen Jesus now sends us out into the world to do the same. And listen, a great place to start is with our family and friends. They went to Thomas. Next, we see that the other disciples reported the news about the risen Jesus, listen, as reliable eyewitnesses. They saw Jesus, and Jesus made sure they understood what they saw was real. He showed them the wounds in his hands and side. He invited them to examine his wounds up close. Acts 1.3 says, He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus made sure that his disciples knew firsthand that his appearance was not a hallucination. It was not a case of mistaken identity. He is truly risen. He is really alive. The resurrection reports of Jesus' disciples are not a hoax. They are reliable, firsthand eyewitness accounts. Mary Magdalene saw him at the gravesite. A group of women saw him near the gravesite. Peter saw him. Cleopas and another disciple saw him on the road to Emmaus. The ten disciples saw him. Thomas will also see him. Later, more than 500 people saw the risen Jesus as he met with them. We can trust the resurrection reports of the apostles. Now the news of the disciples, man, that was exciting. And it was reliable. But Thomas, he responded with doubt. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, this response gave Thomas the moniker, Doubting Thomas. How many of you guys have heard that? Doubting Thomas. The truth is, Thomas was an honest but stubborn skeptic. Like the other disciples before they saw Jesus, the reports of Jesus' resurrection seemed like nonsense to him. Thomas wanted 
visible and tangible proof. He wanted to see, he wanted to touch the wounds of a risen Jesus, and then and only then would he believe. Thomas was not gullible. He would not easily believe the resurrection story. He would not believe something simply because everybody else was believing it. He wanted to see and touch the same evidence the other disciples claimed to have experienced. Here's the thing, though. Thomas's doubting proved misfortunate for him. Thomas was stuck. He was stuck in his sadness. He was stuck in his disappointment. He was stuck in his fear. Now with the addition of this struggle for a whole week, Thomas was doubting and miserable and unless something or someone leads him out of his disbelief and brings him into believing, he would end up on a path that would lead him further and farther away from knowing the risen Jesus and experiencing life in his name. That's the crisis here in this story. But now the author transitions from crisis to climax. Look at verses 26 and 27. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. This is... Jesus' third resurrection appearance recorded in the Gospel of John. And here he came specifically for Thomas. Thomas was struggling with his doubts. So, Jesus appeared to him to bring shalom, that's peace, to his struggling mind and heart by providing the proof that he is risen and alive. In this moment, listen, in this moment, the good shepherd who loses none is leading Thomas from faithlessness to faith, from doubt to doxology, from unless I see and touch, I won't believe to my Lord and my God. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hand inside. Rich wounds yet visible above. In beauty glorified. Here's the application for us today. Doubting is real. And believers doubt too. You know, there are moments and seasons we find ourselves doubting God and doubting Christianity. Now, it could be for intellectual reasons. You know, 
For example, Christians who've grown up in a Christian bubble at home and church, listen, they will eventually face strong intellectual challenges to their faith in secular colleges and university, social media, and also in conversations with their thinking non-Christian friends. It could also be for moral reasons. For example, the misconduct of church leaders and church members and the mishandling of church discipline. Listen, that has caused people to doubt the validity and the value of Christianity, right? Also, personal sin. Personal sin can also cast dark shadows of doubt inside our minds and hearts due to persistent disobedience and or feelings of guilt and shame and condemnation. Doubt could come also for emotional reasons, disappointment, discouragement, depression, All those things can bring us into those deep, dark waters of despair and doubt. And you know what? It could also be a combination of any or all of these reasons. Perhaps you. Perhaps you are here struggling with doubts, feeling like it is getting harder and harder to believe that God loves you or that God is good and trustworthy or that God even exists. So let me say this. We're so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. And we want you to know that you are not alone. Listen, past and present believers have struggled through the same kinds of thoughts and feelings of doubt we do. And listen, and they made it through with the help of God and His people to an even stronger and persevering faith in God. So don't panic. Doubts don't have to be the end of faith. Instead of doubting away from faith, we can doubt towards faith. Just ask Thomas. The shoulders of the risen Jesus are broad enough and strong enough to bear all of our doubts. Jesus was present with Thomas, and he remains present with us too. Now, here are some lessons we can learn from Thomas's moving from doubt to doxology. First, I want you to see that Thomas stayed with the other disciples while he doubted. I think this is so beautiful that the disciples did not push Thomas away. Thomas was in a safe place to process through his doubts among those who had seen the risen Jesus. Listen, it is never a good idea to process through our doubts about God alone. 
It is safer to do this within a gospel-safe community of believers, with those we can think and, and, and talk and listen and pray through the hard issues with. The apologist Sean McDowell provides this good advice. Quote, be sure to share your doubts with others. When you're in the middle of doubting, it is critical to experience the love, grace, and guidance of the body of Christ. Doubting alone is a recipe for disaster. I thank God for the people who loved me and guided me through my season of doubt. Second, I want you to see in the story that Jesus appeared to Thomas with grace and truth and a clear directive. The risen Jesus came to Thomas with grace. Instead of rushing Thomas toward believing, Jesus gave Thomas time and space to think for a whole week before appearing to him. This was time and space for him to process the news about Jesus' resurrection. And it was time and space to prepare him for the moment the risen Jesus would appear to him. You know, oftentimes, by pressuring a doubter, to rush into believing, especially those closest to us, we end up pushing them further away from faith. Jesus didn't deal with Thomas this way. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes in our overzealousness, we just want to rush people into faith. We want to push them into it. But Jesus, he applied grace in dealing with Thomas. And then when Jesus did appear, he didn't scold and he didn't shame Thomas for his weak faith. Instead, he graciously met his conditions for believing, even though he didn't have to. Listen, sometimes he does this, Sometimes he doesn't. The God-breathed witness of the apostles are reliable and sufficient. But in this moment, Jesus graciously did this for Thomas. He came to Thomas the same day as when he appeared to the other disciples on Sunday. He appeared to Thomas in the same setting as before, in a locked room. He came to Thomas and said, peace to you, as he did before to the other disciples. He showed Thomas the wounds in his hands and his side, as he did before in the presence of the other disciples, inviting Thomas to see, inviting Thomas to touch. I love this moment. There is a beautiful graciousness displayed in the way the risen Jesus met and interacted with the struggling disciple. And it's also worth noting that Jesus heard and knew what Thomas was demanding even though he wasn't visibly in the room when he spoke it. 
We, we cannot miss this, guys. This is the new reality of the risen Jesus in his resurrection body. He is present with his disciples even when he isn't physically visible. He would later tell them, I am with you always. And listen, the risen Lord is here with us right now. And he knows what our thoughts are. He knows what's in our hearts, our joys and our sorrows, our hopes and our disappointments, our settled thoughts and our struggling doubts. He knows them all, and he remains near us, and he remains with us. Man, may God stir up our awareness, awareness of his presence this morning that we don't end up saying like Jacob, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. But not only did the risen Jesus come to Thomas with grace, but the risen Jesus also presented Thomas truth. Jesus showed him the wounds in his hands and side. He provided convincing proofs of his resurrection. And Thomas saw and Thomas believed. Jesus met Thomas where he needed to be met. And Thomas, like the others, believed the truth about Jesus when he saw him risen and alive. You know, today, we have an opportunity to see his wounds in the sacrament called the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper is an ordinance, but more than just an ordinance. It's a sacrament. It's a visible sign of an invisible reality. And every Sunday, when we come to the Lord's table to share in the Lord's Supper, Christ is present He's present and he meets us with his grace to open the eyes of our hearts to see. To see him who died for us and rose again from the dead. And here at the Lord's table, the reality of the risen Christ is confirmed. And our faith in him is encouraged and strengthened. See his wounds. He came with grace, he came with truth, and the risen Jesus then gave Thomas a clear directive. Jesus commanded him, stop doubting and believe. Jesus met Thomas during his doubting, but did not allow him to remain in it. Thomas moved from doubt I will not believe to doxology, my Lord and my God. It would be impossible 
for Thomas to persistently doubt and live by faith at the same time. He had to choose between the two. The Jesus way is a life of living by faith, not by sight. The way of Jesus is living by faith in the Son of God. Doubts are permitted, but doubts should not be allowed to become permanent. So in love, Jesus meets us in our doubts, but he doesn't leave us there. And so Thomas then responds to Jesus in verse 28, my Lord and my God. Now guys, this is a verse worth highlighting, underlining. This is the climax of this story and the climactic conclusion of this portion of this gospel before the epilogue in the next chapter. This gospel, the gospel of John, opens with the words, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. This gospel ends with these words, my Lord and my God. And everything in between John 1 and John 20 is stating the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is more than just a mere man. He is the God-man. And so John 20, verse 28, it brings us full circle back to the prologue that we saw in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And Thomas here addressed the risen Jesus as my Lord and my God. This is Thomas's confession of faith. The risen Jesus is the Lord God. The resurrection of Jesus declares and affirms that he is both Lord, Romans 14, 9, and God, Romans 1, 3, and 4. And when Thomas spoke these words, don't miss this, Jesus accepted Thomas's adoration. Jesus is Lord. I don't know what your opinion about Jesus is. If he was just a good person, a good moral teacher. But listen, the Bible tells us Jesus is Lord. He is supreme over all. He is the ruler of all. And man, let this next statement shake up your thoughts. Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal creator, the life giver and life sustainer, the all-sufficient one, the righteous judge of all humanity, the perfect one deserving our worship and allegiance. He is the God-man. But this is not only Thomas's confession of faith. This is Thomas's personal confession of faith. The risen Jesus for Thomas was my Lord. 
and my God. For Thomas, the doctrine of the risen Jesus was more than just academic. It was a personal faith, a personal relationship. Now, I, I'm looking at my notes, and I know that what I'm about to say, there is a punchiness to it. But I'm going to go ahead and just say it. We are not real disciples of King Jesus if we do not know him as my Lord and my God. Not the Lord God of my parents. Not the Lord God of my pastor. Not the Lord God of my church. If we choose to live and die without Christ, He will one day say to us, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus, however, invites us to believe in Him and to know Him as my Lord and my God today. And Thomas did that. So in verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was chiding Thomas here. Instead, he affirmed his faith. Now remember, as an apostle, Thomas was one of the 12. Remember, we read that. As an apostle, Thomas had to see the risen Jesus like the other apostles did. In fact, in Acts 1, verses 21 and 22, we learn that this is one of the requirements for being an apostle. These were men who saw physically, visibly, the risen Jesus. And as a result, Thomas joined the others as a reliable eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. And so this story testifies to the certainty of the apostles' reports of the resurrection of Jesus. Because I think that John wants us to think about this. If someone as skeptical as Thomas ended up believing in the resurrection of Jesus and living his whole life proclaiming it and was killed, as church history reports, in India while preaching Christ, then we should not dismiss the report but look further into it and eventually believe it. But Thomas' story also speaks to us today in the 21st century. Thomas' story testifies to generations of people who came after the ascension, when Jesus returned back to heaven, after the ascension of Jesus, that Jesus is truly risen and alive and that we can believe the reports of those who saw him firsthand. You know, there are past historical figures, right? Like Alexander the Great, Joan of Arc. How many of us have actually met Alexander the Great and Joan of Arc? And yet, no one doubts their existence. Why? Because of reliable testimonies of eyewitnesses. 
Thomas and the other disciples were permitted to see and believe so you and I, we can read and hear their reliable testimonies about the risen Jesus and believe with faith, F-A-I-T-H, faith sight rather than eyesight. And so, in verse 29, Jesus went on to say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, as an apostle, Thomas had the privilege of seeing and believing. That's eyesight. But as believers, after the ascension of the Lord Jesus, I want you to think about this. We, all of us here today, we have the privilege of believing first, then seeing the risen Savior with faith sight. This is so radical. Jesus said, blessed are those. Happiness, flourishing, that's the meaning of blessedness. Listen, the blessedness of faith sight is that it sees the risen Jesus more clearly than eyesight. Remember, the Pharisees had eyesight, right? But they disbelieved. And they denounced Jesus, the Messiah. On the other hand, those who know the risen Jesus with faith sight has a better, more real, a forever lasting experience and relationship with him than those who saw him and rejected him. Faith sight sees God's love and goodness and faithfulness and purposes in our times of disappointments and discouragements. Eyesight gets confused upset and frustrated by them. Faith sight has an eternal perspective. It sees the fulfillment of future promises and is confident of our eternal inheritance. Eyesight just sees the now and is stuck in the moment. Faith sight has genuine love for the risen Jesus even without eyesight. He's real to us, and he is worth loving and rejoicing about, and this is what moved the Apostle Peter to write these words. In 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with the glorious, inexpressible joy, the reward of truth. A reward for trusting him will be the salvation for your souls. And I'm sure if I was to take a poll of the people gathered in this room and to say, how many of you love Jesus, you would raise your hand. How many of you guys love Jesus today? That's the beauty, the blessedness of faith sight. So now we close with an invitation to believe in Jesus. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, we read, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This gospel sets forth an accurate account of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. In this gospel, we see God loves the world, and God the Son came to us as a human named Jesus and lived among us. 
In this gospel, we see Jesus shows us that God exists and that he is full of grace and truth. Jesus did good and displayed God's healing and transforming power for people in need. Jesus confronted a form of religion that keeps people away from God, and he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and people can come to God only through him. This gospel shows us Jesus suffered and died on the cross to rescue us from sin, proclaim his victory over the devil and demons and death and to inaugurate the kingdom of God and the new creation. This gospel proclaims Jesus rose again from the dead and he lives forever as Lord and God and he calls each of us to know him as my Lord and my God and there is no real life without Jesus but for all those who believe in him, he grants them life in his name. 